I mean, there's no world in which anybody ever would have wished this on us. Um, but this is the hand we are dealing with now. So I think we can try to make the best of it. Welcome back to Adventures in Ed Funding, the podcast series presented by CASVO, the California Association of School Business Officials. My name is Paul Richmond, and I'll be your guide as we continue exploring the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic fallout on school funding. In particular, we'll pose the question, does greater investment in public schools hold the key to California's long-term recovery from the crises? Joining us is Heather Huff, Executive Director of Policy Analysis for California Education, PACE for short. PACE is an independent nonpartisan research center founded in 1983. It's a unique partnership of five California universities, Stanford, UC Davis, USC, UCLA, and UC Berkeley. Its mission is to help bring evidence into decision-making here in California, something we can never do enough of, right? Before joining PACE, Heather was an improvement advisor with the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. She has extensive experience as a researcher and her areas of expertise include in-district and state-level policymaking and implementation. She's also, perhaps most importantly, a parent of two elementary school-age children. Welcome, Heather. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Heather, you've written that a priority for California's recovery must be significant investment in our schools. Can you share more about that? Absolutely. There's lots of evidence across time and growing in recent years that education is important. It's important for the well-being of individual students, but it's also for the important for the well-being of society. We know that when more students get a high-quality education and pursue higher levels of education, everybody wins. And it's important to know that because California for many years has been under-investing in our public education systems. I think that it's no surprise to anyone that regularly listens to this podcast that um, schools were already below the national average in terms of per-pupil funding. In fact, we're ranked 39th in the country in education spending if we adjust for the cost of living. Recent research also has concluded that California would need to spend an additional $26.5 billion above 2016-17 levels on K-12 education if we were to meet our high and ambitious goals for student achievement. And so now we're looking at a situation in which our students are going to need a lot more support even than they got before in order to thrive when they re-enter schools. And so now is really the time to invest in education as a way both of raising up what that level was before, but also supporting students, supporting families, and over the medium term, supporting the economy. So making an investment in education is, I think, the smart thing to do for California. And as we know, even before this crisis, school district budgets were already under a lot of pressure. That's right. We did a number of studies on school funding as part of the Getting Down to the Facts project, which was released in September of 2018. 
that's where the $26.5 billion number came from. But also in that set of studies, we identified many other budget pressures that are crippling district budgets. One of those is escalating pension costs, which to a large extent are being absorbed by districts. Many districts are also experiencing escalating costs associated with healthcare. We have growing student need in special education, but not growing revenues. And facilities have become a financial burden on districts as well. So when we take this low level of funding plus these raising costs, it has put districts already into a very financially delicate place. And what's happening now with COVID-19 might be the straw that breaks the camel's back if we're not really proactive in helping to solve it. If we let things play out the way that they might normally or that they did in the Great Recession in 2008, what we would see is that schools take a lot of the hit of that economic crisis, and we need to try to fight that back. So what are some of the ways that we could be proactive? Um, Researchers working with PACE have been doing a lot of work right now in order to try to get some of those things out on the table. But I think the most important thing to note at this moment is that the ways that we distribute funding for education are very constrained by a patchwork of policies that we've introduced over a number of years. And all of those things can be changed and can be modified if we as a state decide that California is going to invest in public education. So one really important thing here is that our funding systems in California are highly volatile. We're more dependent on state funds, um, particularly income taxes than most other states, in large part due to the funding restrictions on property tax that were introduced as a result of Prop 13. Uh, We also could, as a solution, look toward diversifying the education tax base. In the short term, there are a few easy things that we could do to protect education funding for California while we lay the groundwork for some larger structural changes to our funding system. The first is that state leaders could fund education above the constitutionally guaranteed minimum funding level. This would ensure that Prop 98 is used as a floor and not a ceiling, and we could, without um, any changes to law, invest more money in education. The other is that we could come together and demand federal aid for education. A lot of the support for states and for organizations within states like schools is going to come from the federal government and from stimulus money. And so that's a place where we could advocate for ourselves. We could also, as a state, if we have one-time funds, make sure that those funds are being directed to schools that are serving the highest proportions of vulnerable students. We know that Right now, as a result of the crisis, we have huge inequities in terms of what students are experiencing. And the best way that we can make sure that we attack that inequity head on at reentry is by making sure that the schools that need the money most are schools that are getting the money to serve kids. Those are some critical steps. Um, What else? I also think that there are a couple of other lessons that we can look back to the Great Recession to learn for what we might experience in this next recession. And that's that we need some flexibility in terms of what districts and schools can spend their money on. 
So some of the things that we've highlighted in our research are that we can remove incentives for small class sizes to give more flexibility to how we design the school day and design instruction. We can offer flexibility around school calendars and seat time requirements, which can shift us from thinking schools get paid by having students in them to thinking more creatively about how schools get funding to support students. And uh, we also need to take a really serious look at, um, at our staffing structures here in California. I want to probe a little more on, on several of the topics that you brought up. One of the shorter to medium-term solutions that you talked about was that the legislature needs to look at funding Prop 98 as a floor and not a ceiling. But I think the, the pragmatists would say we're most likely going to have some significant cuts in revenue. Um, how is that going to be possible? unless the state is able to, to start printing money? That's a great question. I'm under no illusions that our state will be incredibly hard hit in every area and that we're going to have to make some really hard choices between what we invest our money in. So there is no doubt that every sector, every public sector in California is going to experience a hit. I don't think there's any way that, that our education systems in California won't experience cuts in the next year and into the years that experts are saying we will experience both recession and then recovery. So this isn't saying all of the money should go into the education at the expense of everything else. It's saying that however big the pie is, we make decisions about how we want to invest that money. And how we invest that money is an enactment of the things that we value. And in California, compared to other states in the nation, we invest a smaller proportion of that money in education. And we have done that for many years. So there is a policy decision and a public decision that we could all make that says, we know that, they, that everything has competing values, but education is the bedrock of our state. It's what ensures that we stay on top in the economy, that we continue to be a center of innovation. And so let's put money toward schools as a way of showing that that's where our values lie. And it seems that this COVID-19 crisis has only further revealed just how vital schools are to our communities. I absolutely think that that's true. I mean, I think in the most basic way, what we've seen is that when kids don't go to school, parents can't work. So in the most basic sense, schools are essential to our economy thriving. We know that schools are a place where all kids are served. And many kids go to school and it's the only place where they're able to receive a reliable meal. It's a place where they receive health or mental health services. It's a place where they can feel safe and supported. And so I think for many Californians um, who maybe were taking school for granted before, when you try to instruct your kids at home, you realize that the work that teachers do every day with your kids is hard and powerful and that it can't be replicated. The, the pandemic has really opened up even more people's eyes to the inequities that are existing both in our schools and our 
society. And I know that's a topic that Pace and you have done a lot of research on. Are there some ways that, that you're thinking that we can build on now this, this broader recognition that, you know, is this a moment now where we can really address that um, coming out of the crisis? I think that, you know, there's a recognition that every crisis also provides an opportunity. And I think that that's true in education in California as well. We have made significant efforts to close our achievement gaps, for example, so to uh, eliminate some of the difference between high-income and low-income students or white students and African-American and Latinx students. And despite those efforts, our achievement gaps have remained steady. So what that tells us is that there are some systemic changes that we need to make in the ways that we serve our kids. And I think that we're in this moment where um, we, we do need to reimagine school. The governor just last week announced that when we come back to school, if that's in the fall, we're going to have to change the way that instruction is delivered, perhaps with social distancing or changes to scheduling. So we're at a point where we do need to reconsider what school is and how it's serving kids. The good news is that the public is, um, is invested in this idea of diversity and equity and closing the achievement gap. Every year, PACE does an annual poll. We had our most recent poll in January 2020, and we found that 47% of voters felt that closing the racial achievement gap in education was a high or top priority, with an additional 29% reporting it as a medium priority. What that shows us is that Voters before the crisis saw that this was an issue that's worth investing in. And I think we have to build on that public motivation to address the inequities that we have in our system. We'd like for our state leaders to make research-based decisions about public schools. And as we mentioned earlier, the mission of Heather's organization is to help bring more research and evidence into decision-making in California. So I put the question to her in a slightly different way. If you were able to to put the top-line evidence base for what needs to happen in the recovery stage coming out of COVID-19 for our state leaders, what would you highlight? I think that in addition to... um, education funding, which is, I think, in the first position, we need to make sure that we build the conditions for local educators to make the best possible use of those funds. And that's difficult in this current situation where a lot is unknown about the current moment and into the future. But one important investment that we need to make as a state is around being able to understand student need at reentry. So we we generally have tests in the spring that help us as a system know how our kids are doing. We won't have those assessments this year. And in fact, many students haven't had any assessments since school closed in March. So it will be imperative that we have some way of understanding how they're doing and what they need to learn. And that's true at an individual level. 
so that teachers can adapt their instruction so that schools think about how they organize to support those kids. Uh, but it's also true at a system level so that across our systems, we can understand what the levels of student need are and the kinds of investments that we need to make, the kinds of capacities that we need to build to serve those kids. And I'm glad you brought that up. The governor just on April 23rd issued a new executive order delaying the updating of local control and accountability plans by districts. And California's school dashboard data won't be updated. Those are also some key components of the state's overall system. Uh, Any early thoughts on where we're headed with all of that? I mean, those decisions feel appropriate. It's hard to have a dashboard with accountability measures if we haven't been able to collect that data. I think that we really do need to take a step back, though, and instead of saying we're going to pause the LCAP and reintroduce it in some number of months, to really say what are the structures that we need to build to hold our schools and districts accountable, but also to provide the kinds of support that they need for us to see the improvements in student outcomes that we want to see at scale. And now, again, is a really good opportunity to step back and evaluate what we're actually trying to accomplish. Because similar to some of the research and data that I mentioned earlier, showing that our schools had already been underfunded, our achievement gaps were already very large, we also recently did some research just before the first of the year that demonstrated that our accountability and support systems have a lot of weaknesses. And we need to look at those weaknesses head on. And instead of replicating a system that already wasn't working or wasn't serving every educator or every child, let's take this opportunity to build a system that does reach every student and support every school and district. The system of support brings up another challenging issue. Because there always seems to be a push-pull between local and state decision-making. And we know that our system has tried to move towards more local control in recent years. But in times of a crisis like this, do you think there's perhaps a need for more clear directives from the state? Where's that sweet spot between state and local decision-making and authority? I mean, that's probably the hardest question in all of this, but I know that many of the districts that I work with very closely have requested more specific state guidance on many of the issues that they have faced throughout this whole process. So things like distance learning and and what types of programs they should implement, what types of platforms, also grading policies, how they serve students with disabilities. These are all places where if every district is developing programs and solutions independently, we're wasting a lot of collective energy because these are problems that every district is experiencing at this time. And that's a place where the state can step in and say, here is what we believe will be effective for students that's based on evidence that's built with stakeholder engagement. And you can locally determine how you implement this. So enough flexibility that people can adapt a particular set of policies or directives to meet their needs. But there are some things that we've seen throughout this process 
are non-negotiable. And getting some help centrally, I think, would really streamline that decision-making process locally. I always appreciate so much how thoughtful you are. I always learn so much <laughs> from listening to you. Thank you, Paul. Um, is there anything else that we didn't have a chance to talk about that you wanted to highlight? Um, no, I think we pretty much covered everything and then some. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> we always have to throw in some bonus questions. Yeah, I love it. Well, there are always more questions to ask, but that's where we're going to have to leave things for now. We hope that this has helped better inform your understanding of the fiscal implications and opportunities ahead as California prepares to recover from the COVID-19 crisis. Many thanks to our special guest, Heather Huff, Executive Director of Policy Analysis for California Education, PACE. Links to PACE studies plus a column that Heather recently authored can be found on our show website, as well as the PACE website, which is edpolicyinca.org. Also, keep your ears open for a related new podcast episode with school funding researcher Jesse Levine coming soon, where we dive deeper into one of the studies that Heather referenced. Our show is presented by the California Association of School Business Officials, CASBO. Molly McGee is the executive director and CEO. And Molly, we hope that you're feeling better. My name is Paul Richmond, and I'm your series guide. Tommy Dunbar is our master of all things editing, sound, and music. Until next time, be safe and let evidence inform all of your decision-making.